I'm Afshin Ratansi and welcome back to Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from Dubai in the heart of the Middle East. NATO nations after Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Libya, Yemen and more recently their arming of alleged genocide in Gaza are preparing something else. It's billed as the largest military drill since the so-called Cold War and comes on the heels of NATO's Admiral Rob Bauer telling Washington's allies to buy radios and flashlights in preparation for conscription and war. Joining me now from Carlisle, Pennsylvania is Professor John Nagel, retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel, a veteran of two wars on Iraq. He masterminded the U.S. Army Marine Counterinsurgency Manual under later CIA boss General Petraeus and later Pentagon boss Mattis. He's now Professor of Warfighting Studies at the U.S. Army War College. Thank you so much, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, for coming on. I know you're not speaking for the U.S. Uh, Army or the U.S. Army War College, but just tell me what it's been like uh, the past few months lecturing, uh, speaking to NATO officials and the like, just ahead of this... Um, well, steadfast uh, defender drills of 90,000 troops, apparently, in the next few weeks, the biggest since the, I said, so-called Cold War. It was very warm for a lot of people. Uh, what's it like being talking, talking to them? So my students here at the Army War College are mostly Army officers from uh, 75 different countries around the world, uh, Air Force officers, Navy officers, Marine Corps officers, some State Department officials. Uh, but but primarily mid-grade army officers, lieutenant colonels just past battalion command. And what I tell them is that in the national security business, business is good and getting better. Uh, the, the good news is that their chances for promotion are high. The bad news is I think the chances for great power war are higher than they've been in 30 years. Clearly. I mean, you're teaching them as... Uh, exponential antagonism, apparently, from the Shanghai Cooperation Organization countries in the wake of all these different places, surely. I mean, I should just get cut to the quick and say, why do you think two Navy SEALs were killed, gave up their lives uh, for the U.S. military in the Red Sea in the past few uh, days? So um, very sad to, to lose those SEALs, highly trained professionals. They were conducting boarding operations as part of an effort to defend international trade through the Red Sea. Um, the, that is one of the costs of the international free trade system that the United States, her friends and allies around the globe have promoted since the end of the Second you World War. You think those operations by the Biden administration are going to increase the ability of shippers and insurance companies to be able to insure free trade and not lead to increased attacks? Well, some of that depends on what Iran decides to do, of course. So a, a big part of the problems in the Middle East, and there's plenty of blame to go around, is that uh, Iran is trying to foment problems for the United States and to put pressure on Israel. And the attacks on shipping in the Red Sea are part of that effort. The United States is trying to punish those who are committing those attacks. It is trying to safeguard international shipping. And, and it is doing so with relatively limited success so far. I'm quite concerned that that war may turn hotter before it grows colder. Where do you get this information, and I hear it repeated, that Iran controls Ansar Allah in, in Yemen? I mean, as has repeatedly been said, these are allies of Iran, clearly in the region, uh, Iran probably 
quite close now with China, arguably, after China brokered the Saudi-Iran uh, uh, deal. China needing these trade routes desperately. And uh, Ansar Allah clearly saying they were only targeting Israeli-linked uh, ships. China and Russian ships were explicitly uh, named by uh, Yemen as not being targets. So how did those two Navy SEALs die giving up their lives in a fight that surely was not going to uh, increase international world trade? This is about something else, isn't it? This is about Gaza. Well, certainly the Houthis say it's about Gaza. But uh, in fact, the war is designed to put pressure on Israel and the United States, and the only way they're able to do that, and that is by attacking international trade. The United States is working hard with a But it's not international trade, is it? It's trade with Israel and maybe Israel's allies. It's not trade with, I mean, they don't, they've explicitly said they're not going to attack Russian ships, Chinese ships, presumably South African ships. So they, they, they certainly say which ships they're attacking, but they are attacking a number of ships that have no connection with Israel whatsoever. So they're, they're simply not that good. Uh, they are able to harass ships, including U.S. naval ships in the area. They are able to bring attacks against international shipping. And, of course, the law of the sea, the United Nations all agree that ships peacefully transiting international waters are not to be attacked. That's one of the most basic principles of international relation. The global economy depends upon that rule being followed. Isn't that the embargo so the on Cuba, the what? same? Isn't that the embargo on Cuba for the past 50 years? I mean, more centrally here, wouldn't a ceasefire in Gaza and the U.S. vote at the U.N. Security Council be a more effective way of uh, ensuring freedom of navigation than uh, these two Navy SEALs giving up their lives and uh, airstrikes on the poorest country in the Arab world? Well, so the, the Houthis might and might not stop their attacks, depending on what the outcome of, of any ceasefire in Gaza might be. Of course, that decision is Israel's and not the United States to make. I am not a huge fan of all of the decisions that Israel is making. I think it is time for a ceasefire or at least a move to more targeted strikes. I'd like to see more discrimination in the use of force from Israel. And, well, just and before Gaza, own. though, so you've just solved the problem in just what you said. So all you had to say was ceasefire and we can go to the status quo ante, which, uh, you know, which is why the Ansar Allah movement was uh, deprescribed by the Biden administration in the first instance, because there was progress on the idea of, uh, on, you know, if you were the president of the United States, you could have solved the freedom of navigation instantly by just saying that. You don't need to well, airstrike Yemen, do you? It, it, it's certainly nice to believe that we could return to status quo ante before October 7th, but I don't think that's possible in any way, shape, or form, even if the hundred or so hostages, some of them American citizens, were released as as uh, is long overdue, mostly non-combatants. No, no one... No principle of international law, no uh, religion, recognized religion in the world believes that hostages, innocent hostages, should be held. You know what they, you know what the opposition but, there says is that Israel is keeping thousands of Palestinian hostages. But in any case, how does supplying loads of weapons, some people say bypassing Congress, 
to uh, attack uh, the tunnels, supposedly, and probably make it more likely those uh, captives or hostages are killed benefit uh, the argument you're making? Well, as I said, I'm not a, an unabashed fan of the strategy that Israel is conducting. I would prefer to see more discretion. Um, I do think it's time to move toward a different phase of the war. But again, those are Israel's decisions to make, not America's. Israel has sovereignty. Well, it can't make the them without States. the weaponry. Um, I mean, it, it can it use guns without ammunition. Is, it, it certainly is grateful for the support it's received from the United States. It does have a pretty substantial arms weaponry industry of its own. Wait, can, sorry, is, sorry to interrupt there, but you're saying they don't that. need the ammunition that the Biden administration is uh, speeding through. Uh, and uh, Congress obviously angry about their not being uh, consulted enough. They don't actually need it. They have enough weaponry themselves ingrown. Well, so they're, they're, they're moving toward a different phase of this conflict. They are, are moving toward, a, away from, if you compare it to Iraq 2003, they're moving away from the general invasion and toward, I, I believe, I hope, uh, a more targeted counterinsurgency campaign, counterterrorism campaign, where rather than using tanks, special forces teams will um, detain uh, individuals whom intelligence believes are, are responsible for holding the hostages for leading the October 7th attacks. And, and so the demands for ammunition will go down. Wait, you, that, so you that, studied this deeply. You are the author of the first counterinsurgency manual. You're telling me that everything you're watching there conforms to this idea of two stages and the next stage will be this. And I mean, genocide charges at the International Court of Justice backed by the Arab League, brought by South Africa, co-conspirator uh, charges perhaps being developed against uh, the United States and European Union and Britain for arming the genocide. And you're saying, yeah, the second stage, they'll capture those responsible for the October 7th attacks. Uh, if we are going to throw around charges of genocide, that can, of course, go both ways. No, not the, at the ICJ. Uh, <laughs> oh, they, no, they... they, they could, uh, but but so Hamas needs to recognize Israel's right to exist. They have. They changed their uh, charter. Their their actions on October seventh did not demonstrate that they believed that Israel had a right. They've to repeatedly exist. said they changed their charter to accept the nineteen sixty seven borders. It, as you as well as anybody knows, being a TV host, saying things is easy. Doing things is hard, and and so uh, they they clearly hope to, my belief. Uh, and, and I'm not here to support Hamas. I'm just saying, like you, as a military strategist, what Israel has done and now brought Britain and the United States and the European Union into is the entire world and international community thinks they're all participating in genocide and 4% uh, and of the entire population of Gaza is dead, disappeared or wounded, which would equate to 13 million Americans dying after being bombed in the USA. Certainly the whole world does not think that Israel is conducting genocide. America does not. I do not. I do believe that Hamas is responsible for the consequences of its actions. Right? None of those people whose lives have sadly ended, 4% of the population of Gaza, as you note, right? many of them innocent civilians caught in the crossfire. Most, most, most of them, most of them according to the UN. 
Most of them. Sorry, most of them women and children. Um, Not many of them. Certainly many of them women and children, and of course with the, the age of the population in Gaza, that's probably likely. However... Right, well, no, the United Nations... You heard UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres saying that it's unprecedented what's happened. Uh, it is absolutely UN... unprecedented what's happened, as were the attacks of October 7th. And so I would have a very different perspective if October 7th hadn't happened and, and if Israel were not trying to recover its hostages and kill or capture those who are trying very hard. Even October the 7th is now hotly debated and people uh, in the Israeli press are at the forefront of showing how uh, most of the, or many of the, uh, those affected on October the 7th were killed by Israeli American armaments. Uh, on, on the day. If you read the Israeli papers, it's full of this information about how it wasn't Hamas uh, killing children at all and the burning no, I've, of people. I've, I've seen the videos of Hamas raping and killing children, cutting heads off of Israeli citizens. Yeah, all of that has been That's debunked. As you, as you know, the no, Israeli no, press no. is at the forefront of showing that all that evidence was uh, forged. Anyway, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, Professor John Nagel, I'll just stop you there. More from the Professor of Warfighting Studies at the U.S. Army War College after this break. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with Professor John Nagel, retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel and Professor of Warfighting Studies at the U.S. Army War College. Professor, uh, I, I do want to get on to Europe, but I suppose I should just ask, given that you are the author of the counterinsurgency manual, uh, Yemen has vowed revenge on the USA and UK for its uh, airstrikes in the past few days. Um, is, is Britain and the United States prepared for any uh, insurgency against them, however that might uh, happen and in uh, whatever context that might happen? Yeah, I, I think it would look, look more like terrorism than like insurgency. So it is certainly possible that Yemeni agents could conduct additional attacks on U.S. British assets in the region. Uh, it is possible that those attacks could extend further into Iraq, as uh, Iranian attacks, sponsored attacks recently have. Um, Yemen does not have global reach. And... Um, I think they can do more damage to commercial shipping than they can to the armed forces of the United States and their friends. Well, certainly there were some two British warships that backed up into each other Those on social media. The UK Ministry of Defense had to admit in the past few days. Um, let's go to, to Ukraine then. Uh, you predicted immediate victory for Putin, famously, uh, at the outset of the uh, move into uh, eastern Ukraine. And uh, now, sluts in the global south, arguably, would say Putin's move into eastern Ukraine, he obviously saw it as protecting the people of eastern Donetsk. People in the global south are seeing it as the uh, starting uh, pistol for the burying of U.S. empire forever as bricks uh, emerges as a huge, uh, mighty uh, new opponent for the United States and uh, NATO. India and uh, China continue to fund uh, the Russian war, obviously buying the energy. How do you see it now? Well, first, I had very good company when I 
incorrectly predicted that Russia would win the war quickly. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs believed the same thing. Turned out that the Russians were not as capable as I'd feared and that the Ukrainians were tougher fighters than I'd believed. The war against Russia, between Russia and Ukraine, was part of Putin's territorial ambitions, a desire to restore the former Soviet empire. It has failed to date. The um, main geopolitical result of it has been an expansion of NATO, an expansion of Western defense budgets, uh, NATO coming closer together, Russia having a much longer border to defend against NATO going forward. And so I, I think it's safe to say that to this point, Putin's invasion of Ukraine has failed horribly. Of course, we don't know what's going to happen next. And in fact, I'm quite concerned about whether the United States will still support Ukraine going why, forward. Why, given that you teach and read widely and know that uh, for decades now, the warnings about NATO expansion east uh, was bound to catalyze a reaction from Moscow, whoever was leading it, uh, do you just not buy that at all? And why do you not think that uh, it's not that Russia did badly in the initial stages of the war, it was merely they were blocking Kiev from tanks going that way for supply lines, and they're in it for the long haul because the real battle here is for the dollar, for uh, uh, economic power, and as we can see, Western Europe's uh, economies lie in tatters. So they, they certainly weren't in it for the long haul. The tank crews headed toward Kiev had their dress uniforms on board for a victory parade. I spent a bunch of time on tanks. There's no spare room for a dress uniform. They would have been better off leaving the dress uniforms at home and filling that space with the weapons, the ammunition, the gasoline. Who told you that, that by the way? They needed to get the tanks all the way to Kiev. I'm sorry? Who told you about the dress uniforms? Well, that's widely reported. I've published on it. You can. You, you won't have to Google well, very What's the source? Because as we know, there, uh, the misinformation. The Washington Post. So there, that's that's absolutely well known. So it, the, the failures of Russian arms and the initial invasion of Ukraine are, are widely known. The mere fact that Putin was attacking Kyiv, right, which certainly you'll agree that happened, right, is proof that he was not merely concerned about the eastern portions of Ukraine. He wanted to topple the Ukrainian government and he wanted to bring Ukraine into what, what he sees as a revitalized Soviet sphere. I mean, I, failed in that I'd say the source, the source is highly suspect, but you said the New York Times and Washington Post, they're clearly being fed lines from those in power now that uh, Zelensky's defeat is on the cards every day in the New York Times and Washington Post. We can see uh, some are saying a softening up of NATO nations to prepare for the defeat of uh, Zelensky's forces. You don't see that? So Zelensky's forces, the Ukrainian forces, are suffering right now from a lack of ammunition. Zelensky famously, when he was offered uh, a ticket out of Ukraine by the United States, said he didn't want to leave, he wanted ammunition. And unfortunately, because of problems here in the what I see as failures in the United States Congress right now, he's running out of ammunition. He's running out of air defense munitions. He's running out of artillery munitions. All of those are being rationed right now on the battlefront in Ukraine, I strongly believe having written on this extensively, having studied it for the past two years, that as long as the United States Congress and a majority of the members of the United States Congress and both the Senate and the House do support additional funding for Ukraine, 
as long as that comes through, Ukraine will continue to survive as an independent nation through calendar 2024. Well, Putin's never said he didn't want an independent nation. What about the M1 Abrams tanks? Uh, Is it a PR question as to why they're not being uh, used more often? I mean, there are claims that uh, they aren't armored well against UAVs on uh, the sides and on the top of them? So, so t- tanks have been designed to, were, were designed, the M1 tank, all, all modern battle tanks, were designed before unmanned aerial vehicles were uh, an effective weapon of war. They're all being modified now to provide additional protection against UAVs. Uh, but the real, I think, critical failure of Ukrainian arms to date is not the M1s. They'd certainly like to have a lot more of them. And I believe they will have more of them in years to come. With the modification. With With the modification against Russian drones. Against against whoever's drones they may be. Drones are now one of the inescapable factors of the modern battlefield. That's a relatively new development in the past five years or so. I don't expect it to go away. But I think as always happens, the tank itself was uh, was, um, created in reaction to the machine gun. So so, uh, there are progress in, in one direction, and it is it is countered by another working on. The Russians and the Ukrainians are both showing dramatic increases in their ability to counter unmanned aerial vehicles in, in a number of different ways. But the big problem Ukraine faces is in the air, but it's not UAVs, of which they have sufficient quantities and quality. It's in manned aircraft. It's in the ability to provide air superiority over the battlefield. And and until they get that, and some of the some of the F-16s will be coming on board, uh, both European and, and U.S. F-16s will be coming on board in 2024. I don't expect those to be decisive on the battlefield, but they're going to help. And long term, I'm confident that Ukraine can survive as an independent nation again, as long as the West and in particular the United States continues to find a way to provide it with the arms it needs to fight. Yeah, I don't know where this point about independent nation. Putin said denazify and obviously protect the Russian-speaking people in the eastern of Ukraine. He never said he wanted to take over Ukraine, did he? Well, so, I'm, I'm sure he was sending tanks to Kiev just to wish President Zelensky a happy birthday. But he's, I'm he sure said, he had no ill intention for Zelensky at all and would have left Zelensky in power. Is that what you're suggesting? No, no, but he says you can establish your own state. And, of course, some people are saying Zelensky's life is being protected by uh, by uh, Russia in a sense. Because, as you know, and I want to ask you about that, actually, why does Russia just not take Zelensky out, which clearly they have the capability of doing, but choose not to do? So they, they have tried to repeatedly, right, and, and have so far failed no, to do so. They haven't. That's not news. No, that's not news. They've tried many, many times, a dozen times, two dozen times to take out Zelensky, but failed to do so. Where are the sources of this information again? Is this information again coming from the Ukrainian side? uh, Some of it is coming, all of it is coming from unclassified sources, let me be clear, right? Although I get it. It's like the dress uniforms in the tanks came from a Ukrainian official. Like the dress uniforms in the tank came from. That's not true, is it? The paper, uh, it's completely true. No, it's the paper of record in the United States. But, but uh, again, you don't have to believe me, right? You, you asked me to come on. Mm. I'm happy to talk to you. But, but, but so, um, and as, as for the future of, of Ukraine under Soviet dom, dom, Russian domination, 
you might look to the Soviet domination of Poland, Czechoslovakia, East Germany, right? And, and so why do these countries, the United States is not forcing countries to join NATO. They wish to join NATO because they have lived under Soviet domination. Well, we're, not, we're hoping that the Americans are going to again take over Vietnam. Um, I'm not sure that historical parallel quite works, does it? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure the Americans aren't about to take over Cuba like the Soviet Union once uh, invaded uh, Poland. Let's, let's get on to sanctions then. Um, okay. India, India and China, even Zelensky, is kind of funding the Russian war machine now with buying energy from them. Of course, Zelensky has to pay dues for the energy coming through uh, Ukraine uh, for uh, gas uh, transitories. Is it the end of the United States sanctions policy as a method of warfare, in that uh, sanctions have left a Russia with a growing economy and, of course, a European, uh, Western Europe in, uh, in dire straits economically? So uh, I would not say that Western Europe is in dire straits economically. Britain certainly is. Brexit hasn't helped it. But the EU continues to have Germany good growth. Germany is deindustrialized. Not, as, not as good as the United States. Um, uh, but, but so Russia has demonstrated some remarkable resilience in the face of the American sanctions, the Western sanctions. I think the civilian aircraft industry, the civilian aviation industry, is probably the place where Russia is having the hardest time adapting to the sanctions. And I believe that sanctions tend to be a very slow and imprecise tool of international politics. There's some emotional and psychological benefits to them. Uh, but Russia has shown more resilience than I'd expected. Of course, a big bunch of that is that the Russian people are used to suffering. And one of the indicators I'm looking at most closely is the Russian dismay at the extraordinary losses they've suffered in Ukraine and the, the so-called mother's protests against the totalitarian regime of Putin. So we've had one coup attempt well, against Putin so far. It's clearly not totalitarian if there are protests on the streets, arguably, is there? We don't know that. We don't know the casualties, really. I just, let's just finally... what happens to the protesters. Yeah, well, there's clearly no pro there are no opposition parties in uh, Zelensky's uh, Ukraine. They've all been banned and the newspapers shut down. But just quickly, New York Magazine, you wrote, I believe there's no chance for any kind of negotiated settlement until Putin finds out that Trump is not going to be the next president of the USA. Uh, you said that uh, in December. Yeah. What do you think now then? So there is going to be a negotiated settlement when Trump wins in 2024. So if if President Trump is reelected in 2024, I think that that would have dire implications for Ukraine's independence, as well as for NATO as a whole. So uh, according to John Bolton, one of President Trump's national, he's been on this advisors, show. Uh, God bless him. Uh, John said that, that Trump want, wanted to and plans to pull the United States out of NATO in his second term, if he gets a second term. I think that that would have horrific consequences for global peace and security. And in fact, the recent National Defense Authorization Act tried to prevent any future president from withdrawing the United States from NATO without explicit Senate approval. Whether that particular part of the NDAA is constitutional or not is, is an open question. But I am deeply concerned that Ukraine will not stand as an independent country if Donald Trump is reelected to the presidency of the United States. 
We have to see what the American people decide. Lieutenant Colonel Professor John Nagel, thank you. Thank you. And that's it for the show. Our continued condolences to those bereaved by the UK-US backed slaughter in Gaza. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Saturday. Until then, keep in touch via all our social media. If it's not censored in your country, and head to our channel, Going Underground TV on Rumble.com to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you Saturday.